Welcome to Tiny House Tales, a podcast about the experiences of people who have joined the tiny house movement. I'm John Weisbarth. And I'm Zach Giffen. Enjoy as we give listeners a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the absolute joys and inherent challenges of living tiny. Together, we'll seek to unlock the successful strategies for minimalist living and learn more about how tiny living has made a big impact on people's lives. Entertaining and informative. Tiny House Tales is mandatory listening for anyone who has ever dreamed of downsizing or has simply craved a more simple lifestyle. Welcome to Tiny House Tales. Nailed it. Zach, big episode today, buddy. They're all big. Well, this is big in like... It's going to be our tallest episode, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of our tallest episodes because of, you know, the person that we're interviewing today is one of the tallest people that we've ever put into a tiny house. Was the tallest until we did Matt Bonner of the NBA. So, tallest lay person we've ever had on the show at 6'6". He's not just tall in stature tall in character. We met Jeremy Weaver season two, episode four. I went back and looked it up. We built for Jeremy and Lindsay in Chattanooga. And this was a fun one. I kind of went back because I remember a few things about this episode that I can't wait to get into. It was also our director, Brenton Metzler's first episode. You remember that, Zach? Okay. So that that couldn't have been episode four or season four. It must have been season two. Season two, two, episode four. That's right. Which technically, if you want to get nerdy and into the weeds, was actually the first episode of season two. Yeah. Which is so convoluted. Who cares? Yeah, that checks out in my mind because, you know, basically, I feel like that was right in the beginning. We were still trying to figure out what it is that we were doing or figure out what our our formula was going to be. Um, other than just like really long nights and suffering, that was pretty much our formula up until that and point. And the show too. I watched, <laughs> I, I went back and watched a little bit of it. It's like vastly different than any of the like later episodes. We were so trying to figure it out. It's so cringy to watch, but I enjoyed it. So enough about all that. Let's bring in Jer Bear. Jeremy, how are you, buddy? John, I'm good, man. It's been a while. And Zach. Do we just wake you up or something? What You seem a little, l- l- where's the energy, bud? <laughs> I've been up for a while. Just before we were talking about, I've got had a concrete pour this morning, so I had to get up at like 6.30, which I guess that's not that early. Yeah, and pouring concrete is not as simple as it sounds. No. You know, it sounds like you're just going to kind of spread it out. There's actually a lot of stress involved with it, right? Yeah. Because it messes you, yeah, up, you, it's called, gets Yeah, problems. it's called losing a pour or losing a slab. Yeah, if it gets away from you, meaning it dries too fast and you haven't gone through the steps you need to do as far as finishing it before that, then you're uh, in deep doo-doo. Then you're hosed. Yeah, it can actually be a good thing because it's an amazing opportunity to build character. That's true. You know, when you when you screw up a concrete pour, yeah. because basically what you have to do is jackhammer it out of there basically. and redo the entire thing. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing that gives you enough time to like self-reflection and kind of like work <laughs> on your Zen patience, like, yeah. you know, jackhammering something and having to redo the entire thing. Yeah. Oh, you definitely pay for, yeah, you pay for your mistake. But I love that, Zach. It's literally the same thing I talk about with my son all the time. There's no such thing as a mistake. There are only opportunities to learn. <laughs> you have to tell that to my client if we if we would have lost the, uh, the slab. <laughs> You're like, oh, guys, this isn't a mistake. Don't worry. This <laughs> just is just an opportunity for you to learn. Happy mistakes. 
Well, you could. I definitely think that there's an opportunity there to kind of solidify your client's feeling about having hired the right person. Because if they see you go through with something that's like a mistake and then you own it and you like fix it and you know, you move to the other side, there's nothing that kind of can earn someone's trust, like having witnessed that process. Yeah. Except, you know, who's paying for the mistake is the question when it comes to building something. (laughs) Well, we could, yeah, that might be one on you. But there was no mistake if my clients are listening to this. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. So to be clear, you nailed it. Yeah. Well, as you can tell, listeners, Jeremy is a builder. And when we met him back in, I think it was 2015. 2014, late 2014. Late 2014. Yeah, it was October because I remember it was a Halloween episode because we had a heck of a Halloween party back at the hotel. Zach, I have some weird pictures from that I remember hearing about that. (laughs) But when we met you, Jeremy, you guys, you and your buddy Travis were starting a tiny house building company. You'd had some experience in normal building and you were starting a tiny house, Wind River. And you guys did that for a little bit. And I think you stepped away. Is Travis still doing it? They are. Yeah. Travis and Caleb Knowles. I don't think he was actually technically an owner yet, but he was already working with us. Yeah. He shortly after that, he came on as an owner and we, we did that for about five years. And then in 20 end of 2018, I uh, sold my ownership to, to them and went out and started my own company again after that. But it was, it was great. Yeah. They're, they're still building them. They're actually expanding their operations. They're getting ready to build like a they're going from like roughly uh, just under 10,000 square foot facility to, I think, over 90,000 square foot facility. They're doing well. They're definitely not out of business. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. I think, you know, because Jeremy, you, you touch a lot of different, check a lot of different boxes in that you were on the show with us. So we can talk about that. You were a tiny house builder. We can talk about that. You and Zach were part of a team that worked on the legal side, Appendix Q, to get you know, into the building code to make it more legal to have pathways for tiny houses. You live in Chattanooga, which was my first time in Chattanooga, which I love. And you're like my, you're like my Chattanooga guy. Oh yeah. Sorry. Chattanooga is terrible. Don't anyone go there. Plus, you know, when, when we met you and Lindsay, your wife, you guys were newlyweds. You're like married for a year, did the tiny house thing. And then you did this thing where as your family expanded, your housing expanded. And I think all of these are really interesting topics to get into. Let's start at the beginning. What do you remember about when we came to town to do the show, your first experience on television and just like doing all that? It was a while ago. Like we said, 2014. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, no, I remember it very clearly. And it, it was, so basically that was like, we were starting our bit. I was like us starting our business is essentially you guys, you know, that first or that bill we did on the show was for all intents and purposes, kind of our first build as a company, which was the house that Lindsay and I lived then lived in for almost four years right after we got married. And not only that, but like Lindsay and I had, I think we were already married by that, but we had just gotten married, like I think less than a year before that. So anyways, there was, there was just a lot of big changes happening right, right then in our lives. And I had, been, you know, I've been working with Travis, working on new construction houses, you know, houses for a contractor. And I had done a master's program. And then for that master's program, for my, for my internship, I was really interested in tiny houses. And I essentially wanted to take a stab at starting a business. And they let me do that for my internship of the master's program. And that's basically, you know, right, right when all that happened. So I came on and Travis was, he was kind of talking with somebody about doing a build. 
And, you know, I, we decided to, you know, start this thing together. And then I was looking through the email inbox and I noticed an email from, I guess it would have been, what's the, uh, whatever the production company was. I don't remember. Probably loud yeah, television. Right. So I, so I saw that and I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I read it and I was like, Travis, have you responded to this? <laughs> and he's like, no, like they were, they were looking for people <laughs> to do builds that it sounded like they were, you know, like wanting to, you know, looking pretty desperately and to do it, you know, fairly quickly. Because I think at that point, I mean, you guys were the first show, so it wasn't like it is now where you know people know what tiny houses are. Like back then, it was, you know, if you say, oh, I build tiny houses or I live in a tiny house, you had to then explain what that was. It was for full-size people, not like tiny yeah. people. Yeah, so anyways. Or like a so dollhouse. So I responded yeah. to that email. I had already purchased the trailer to build my own. My plan was like over the course of the next year to two years to just kind of, as I had time, build a tiny house, you know? So I luckily, I'd already <laughs> purchased the trailer. And I responded to that email. And I think from the time I responded to that email to when you guys were on the ground filming was like eight days or nine days or something. So <laughs> oh my God, I bet it <laughs> and was. And then from the time, and it was eight, it was eight days of a build. So from the time I responded to the email to the time when our tiny house was finished was like 16 days or something like that. <laughs> so wow. it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty hectic. Oh, it was so much more hectic in those early seasons. <laughs> oh God. Well, and you being the builder kind of threw in another little wrench into the into the formula because Because I was on site the whole time. Well, so yeah. So one of the things that we really like to do on the Tiny House Tales podcast is kind of get into some of the the under the hood elements of Tiny House Nation. Uh-huh. And so for anybody who's watched the show, they'll recognize that there's this big reveal at the end of it, right? Where there's a big surprise. And, you know, the owner hasn't seen the home, that there's a lot of time that goes by where we actually would keep the homeowner away from the house in the very end so that they would have this this natural reaction of kind of surprise. Yeah, an authentic reaction. Yeah. yeah. And since Jeremy was the very first builder, the fr- very first homeowner who actually was building the home that we had worked with, it was like totally throwing that dynamic uh, into question because we were frantically trying to finish the home yeah. at the very end of it. Well, so there's no way we could have kept you away from well, do it. Do you so remember though? Did you act surprised? Well, okay. So I, the, well, this is how I remember it. So at a certain point, you guys, there was like a day left or part of a day left. You made me go away because there was going to be some stuff that, which I think it ended up being the couch or something was, was the thing that, yeah. but there was there was other stuff that I was instructed to act surprised. Um, like I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I don't, and I don't remember how the story was the storyline was crafted. But but anyways, I I don't think it was too too much of like acting though. Like the couch, I actually I think I was surprised by because I don't think I feel like we knew that we had given you like blankets, some blankets, and some fabric and stuff. And I think yeah. we knew generally that it was going to be used for some sort of something, but I don't, I don't remember that we knew it was a couch. We may have, but I don't, we certainly didn't know what it was going to look mm. like or anything like that. I just watched the reveal again. We leaned pretty heavily into Lindsay's yes. reactions. <laughs> she Smart. was like, she was like, oh my God, everything in this house is going to make me she, cry. And we're yeah, like, yeah, okay, she's, good. Follow her because Jeremy's seen it all. That, well, that was also a really good move because I'm just a terrible actor. <laughs> well, we never want to put people in that position. You're only going to get a genuine surprise out of me one time if I'm genuinely surprised. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Like, I can... Try to fake surprise, but that's not, it's not gonna, it's gonna be a bit cringy. You said that, you know, you had done the entire home start to finish, you know, with, with a bunch of our team's help, but largely, you know, you guys were doing the big heavy lift of the, of the work. 
And that was 16 days from like answering the email. So, you know, for anybody who <laughs> you know has any idea of like what that kind of workload is, is like by the time that you're done with it oh, and you're actually looking at it, you got to feel kind of numb. Were you, did you even have any sense left? Well, you were there. I mean, you were, that's the, that was the thing that was the, one of the coolest things to me. Cause like when, before you guys showed up, obviously I, you know, I maybe had watched one episode or I knew what the show was, but I hadn't watched it a ton. I'd watched maybe one or two episodes. So then I, you know, I went and watched several episodes and I remember one of my th- first thoughts was like, there's no way that that John Weisbarth is that way in real life. Like it's one of those, like, he's just putting on this persona, you know, acting like this. Do you mean like that charming or what, or that handsome? Well, that, and just like, you know, you're jovial and jokey and like, I mean, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. But then I, I meet you in real life and you're exactly that way. And I'm like, I'm like waiting for, for, you know, cameras to go off and John to be like his real person. But no, that's how John is. And, and then, and then you Zach, like you were there, Travis and I were there the longest hours. Probably there was a lot of people, a lot of my friends, I was calling him favors. I mean, at times we had 15 people there working on stuff. We have a great community in this area of friends and family and, and people we know that are in the construction industry too. So, you know, there's just a ton of people that were putting a ton of time and Caleb, you know, put a ton of time in as well. But Travis and I, at least the last few days, we were, there, I think the last two or three days we were doing, I think it was like 16 plus hour days of work, not like of being awake, like of actually swinging a hammer. And they would end at midnight or one in the morning and Zach would still be there, you know, working away on whatever carpentry project. That was one of the things that stood out to me as far as like, so A, yes, we were exhausted by the end, you know, when all the filming and the trying to be excited stuff, you know, like that was at the end of a stretch of like two or three days of 16 hour work days, you know, but also like, I remember being really impressed with particularly you two guys and your whole crew, but you two guys, especially because you were in there with it. Well, thank you. I'm blushing. Yeah. <laughs> it's always nice to know that it's uh, it kind of fits what we project on TV is actually kind of a little yeah. little truthful because I think with reality TV, it's got a reputation for being quite the opposite. No, I, I mean, I'd say overall with that experience, it was overwhelmingly positive experience with all of you guys, which actually jaded us a little bit because I don't, we don't need to get into this, but yeah, you guys got tapped to do like a show yourself. So so they pitched us this idea called tiny house mansions where we were going to be building these slightly larger foundation built, mostly tiny houses, but on location. So we were going to be like traveling and building these tiny houses. And we did the first one here in Chattanooga. And that was, yeah, that was not the same. It was a, it was shooting a pilot. So I get that, that everything's, you know, in limbo and like, it's not a well-oiled machine or whatever, but like, you know, it was just not that experience at all, you know, versus like we were expecting <laughs> the, like, you know, John and Zach experience. And that, that's, I think we got more of the realistic reality show experience the second time around. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you talking to me before that. being like, Hey, is there anything I should be on the lookout for? And I was like, how much time do you have? Yeah. Let me give right, you a list right, from like negotiating, you know, the whole, like the contract negotiation and like what's out, you know, all that. And just to, and then just to the, like trying to create the pressure, trying to manufacture pressure that doesn't necessarily need to be there, but like it needs to be there for the camera. So like, let's make an artificially short timeline, you know, all that stuff. Mm. It's cringy. I was watching that episode again. I was like, oh God, I was watching my, like me freak. The, the one thing I was like freaking out about, <laughs> freaking out about in the episode was like, how are we going to get an oven in this tiny house? That just doesn't happen. It's like, we put an oven in a range in every tiny house we ever Like every did. handyman is just sitting but, there like, really guys, come on. 
<laughs> oh, and my dad is a, my dad used to give me so much crap because my dad was a handyman. That's how, that's like my little bit of like, I don't have build experience, but I have like handyman sure. experience with my dad. I grew up working with him and I'd come back off the road and he'd watch it and he'd be like, all right, he'd sit down. He'd have like a, a notebook. He's like, all right, what the hell is this? What was that? Was this? <laughs> I'm like, uh, dad, <laughs> cut me some yeah. slack. And he's like, no, that's Zach. He knows what's going on. I'm like, I know, Dad. Zach does. That's why he's doing that yeah. part, and I'm getting throw pillows. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, everyone's got their strengths, John. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, Jeremy, so you know, getting back to just the tiny house that you built, right? Because I mean, the TV show, especially for you, because you were just like doing so much of the construction and doing on camera, and it's such a whirlwind and. What was the feeling that you had or what was the experience like when the whole kind of circus left and like you're, you're sitting there and everything's sinking in the reality. Talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, I could talk about it from a couple perspectives, but the first thing I'll say is we, we didn't actually live in the tiny house for probably cause we didn't have like power or any, like the property that we actually took and did the reveal on was actually our property. And that's where, that's where I'm sitting right now in a slightly, you know, like a thousand square foot house that we built after the tiny house, but we didn't have any utilities out there. So I still had to like, you know, and I put all that in myself. So I still had to put a thousand feet of water line and get power run to the, to the barn and get that out to the, you know, anyways. So I think it was probably like when we actually moved in the tiny house was maybe March or April, you know, of 2015. And this was like October, right. November. And you guys came were... and did the, uh, what is it called? The pickup or where you come back and it's like, like the flashback. Yeah, right. The... So when you, not the flashback. What is it called? I don't the, remember what you, it was a the name. The look back. Yeah. So you came and yeah. filmed that and they had to stage that basically because we weren't living in the, in the house. And so they, they had like bought, they had like bought the pie, yeah. you know, they, they went to like Walmart and bought a pie cause they wanted to like play up the Lindsay pie thing again. Lindsay pie thing. Yeah. You know, we like put some of our stuff in there to make it anyways. But we, I mean, we actually did live in it for four years after that, but, but we, when they came back to film that because of scheduling, they, they couldn't wait until we were living in it. So. I had to like come back a month later, but okay. So fast forward to when you actually moved in. So yeah, we moved in and honestly for the living in a part was not, I wouldn't say it was a challenge for Lindsay and I, we didn't have any kids. We had one little tiny dog and we didn't have a lot of stuff because we had before that we had lived in apartments or, you know, like renting a room out with several other people. I had been traveling a lot, you know, uh, previous to that as well. So like we didn't, we hadn't like accumulated the stuff as far as the, like when we did the pare down, you know, that scene where we took everything out of the garage and put it in the, that was literally everything we owned. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. everything. <laughs> we had like maybe like some clothes and stuff up in the bedroom, but like that was everything. So we, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too much of a challenge as far as the space goes. I really, en- honestly, really enjoyed living in the tiny house. Obviously, there's some drawbacks and there's some things that we learned along the way and some like the toilet situation was like that took some figuring out. <laughs> we at first had like one of those big uh, Sunmar, whatever, uh, composting toilets. Composting toilets. Yeah. We had two or three other composting toilets and, and by the end, we got a system that worked fairly well. But those Sunmar ones, there's so many crevices where fruit flies can be. And mm. so it's like, it, it was not great to have a fruit fly infestation and realize that the source of the infestation is your composting toilet. And there's no way you can get to where they are because it's like all up in this unit. Oh my God. Like those, those are some of the growing pains. But as far as actually living in a tiny house, we look back, you know, at that time of our life very fondly. We actually had our first son, Shepard, for about 
a year, maybe close to a year and a half in the tiny house with us before this was finished and we moved into the house that I'm living in now. Well, I think this is a good good topic to kind of look at because I just get the sense that so many people that are looking at tiny homes, they, well, for one, they kind of have a glossy perspective of what it might be like. But two, they, they kind of look at it as this kind of thing where you're almost untrue to the spirit of the movement or the themes of a tiny home owner if you're going to be looking at it as kind of a stepping stone. Yeah. And what I see it as is more of like this filling in the gaps in our housing ladder. For sure. Where people need stepping stones. Yeah. So did you feel kind of like you betrayed anything when you moved out of the tiny home or did you have any any sense like that at all? I'd be lying if I didn't think about it. I mean, like, yeah, for sure. Like I'm building tiny houses, but I'm moving out of a tiny, you know, that thought crossed my mind. But like the perspective that I have that I came to pretty quickly is, and it's just like, if you just think about it from a realistic point of view, the other huge thing is like people that haven't had kids and then you have kids and you are in a tiny house, you can do it. And there's people that do it successfully and are very happy. But kids change the dynamic for sure, as far as the space goes, especially if you're living in a place where you have a winter, you know, and the and the kids need space to run in the winter. It's like, yeah, you can bundle them up and send them outside. But it's like, if it's 35 degrees and like snowy, sleety for two or three days in a row, you know, that's where it's, it just gets really difficult with, especially with a kid. If you have kids, you get what I'm saying. If you don't, you probably don't, uh, but maybe you can imagine. So, but the perspective I pretty quickly came to, and I, I wouldn't say I was ever like a purist, you know, like, oh, everyone must live in tiny houses or else you're terrible and wasteful and all that. Like that was never my perspective, but just for my own self, you know, I was like, oh, you know, it'd be nice to say I was living in a tiny house still. But I think the stepping stone concept and and the phases of life, like having the housing that you're living in match the phase of life that you're living in, to me is so huge. And when those things are mismatched, and it can be either way, it can be mismatched, meaning that like, you're a widowed grandmother at 75 years old, and you live in way too much house that you can't afford or have the energy or ability to maintain, you know, like that's happening with a lot of people right now. And it could also be that like my house is too small. Like we were living in a tiny house and we had two kids and now it's definitely too small. And I also think it's a personal thing. Like I think, I think everyone could live tiny, but like there's just different personalities, different temperaments. Like there's certain people that just, they just like to have space. You know, they, they feel happier in a larger space. And there's other people that just, they don't necessarily need that space. They can be living on top of, you know, other people, you know, around other people in very tight quarters and they can function psychologically just fine in those environments. And I don't think, I don't think it's, you need to shame anybody or anyone should be shamed or ashamed if they don't fit into any particular, you know, I don't think you should ever have too much house. But again, I think sometimes, like you said, Zach, there are purists that, you know, can kind of shame the other way. And, and it's like, you know, I think it just has to fit the phase of life that you're in and your economic situation. I mean, we always talked about right size housing and efficient housing. And that's kind of how I always like to talk about, it. I think, especially as we are doing the show, and especially more so to Zach than to me, that Zach would be challenged about, well, what is a tiny house? Tell me, define a tiny house. How many square feet is it? And Zach was always very thoughtful. And it was it's way less, at least I, th- I think we agree, that it's way less about the actual square footage and how it's used. And there is a way to, you know, you can live in a thousand square feet with four or five people in a way that is very really leans into the tiny house mentality where you you are efficient and you don't 
have more than you need. You have just what you need and nothing more than that. And I think that to me has always been the lure to it. I've always thought it's been really interesting. And then you could get way more people to move from 3000 square feet to 1500 square feet. than you could get people to go from 1500 to 400, you know, and I think that counts in in terms of like overarching themes of the tiny house too. And, and I, I like that idea of living in that way. Cause I'm not going to live in a tiny house. I've never wanted Mm -hmm. to, but I like a smaller space for sure. Well, I've always noticed that people try to say, okay, could I live in a tiny house as if that's means one thing. And, you know, what I know is that even within underneath the umbrella of the term tiny house, there's a large spectrum of what type of structure kind of qualifies as that. Like the difference between, you know, a 120 square foot tiny home, like what I had built and lived in versus one that's just under 400 square feet. You know, if that's what you're using as the definition, that's pretty big, you know, and, and, uh, and a 400 square foot tiny home is the size of, you know, a lot of people's apartments in New York city that don't really think about it as like this critically tight space. And, and then the other thing is people forget about the difference between living by yourself, you know, as like a single young guy, especially, you know, for me at the time versus having a family. You can say it's like an alley cat, an alley cat just <laughs> out there crushing. I get it. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, it's always surprising to me that people kind of want to kind of use the term tiny house as if it, if it just kind of means one thing when actually there's a big variety of structures and, and, and it really makes a difference. I hate to like make people uncomfortable, but I do like to kind of pry into that topic as much as I can. Because I think it's something that not just people that are a part of the movement need to be aware of, but also as we're kind of pushing for broader acceptance out there in the world for other people to be aware that like, you know, what they have thought of as a tiny home because they saw one news story about, you know, a village of tiny homes for homeless people is not not the only kind of structure that we're talking about there. I think at the root of it is essentially trying to keep the perspective that the house is the vehicle for your life and not the other way around. And so I, so often it happens, not, not always by choice, often just by circumstance or by, you know, people have no other choice, you know, if they can't afford enough housing or whatever, but it becomes that the person is serving the house versus the house serving the lifestyle or the, or the family, you know, that that's living there. And again, the size and efficiency, almost more than the size is a huge factor in that you think about it and like, okay, why do this show tiny house nation or like all the other shows, the DIY flipper fixer, blah, blah. Like it's gotta be one of the biggest, if not the biggest type of reality show is some sort of a house centric show. You know, why is that? It's because like most people, the majority of people's lives take place in the homes that they live in. Right. As far as time spent. I mean, even if you just look at where do you sleep, sure. you know, you're going to spend a 30 year life laying in the bed in your house, you know, and then however, how much ever time on top of that. So I'd say most people spend well over 50% of their lives in whatever structure it is. And if that doesn't fit their lifestyle, like how much is that dampening their life over the course of their life? You know? So it's like, you don't, it, it makes sense to me why how homes are such a big deal, why people spend so much money on homes, why it's, that's such a huge industry in the United States and everywhere in the world. It's just because it's, it's centric to everyone's lives. You know, I think television has a tendency to kind of look for the drama, obviously. I think that goes without saying, you know, but when I hear you talk about that, it does make me wish that there was 
more of an opening for a show about people like right-sized living, Mm -hmm. you know, where it wasn't about drama. It wasn't about, you know, it was about people making wise decisions about their lives and their need for space and just being reasonable. Who's going to pay for the show, Zach? Someone's got to pay for it. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's not exciting, right? There's not that, there's not the drama element of like when people are just making like good decisions that are like financially responsible that are, you know, like not excessive and trying to hedge in on their needs, you know, and kind of find a balance like, oh, that would be lovely oh, for sorry, me to I see. Sorry, I fell asleep. But... <laughs> Were you guys doing a yeah. show pitch? Sorry. In this episode, Zach will avoid by making a purchase that he probably shouldn't make. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Next time on Right Size Living, nothing bad happens. Yeah. <laughs> Here's <laughs> But no, I do I I do like that. I I think though, I think you know what was interesting that you were talking about, Jeremy, what made me think about is and I just had this conversation with someone yesterday and they were like, oh, when's Tiny House Nation coming back? Like, it's so great for the homeless. And, you know, I saw this thing on the news and I was like, yeah, I do think that tiny houses can play a really big part in the homelessness crisis or the unhoused crisis that we have in this country. But I also think and what I pointed out was the idea of affordable living and especially in Southern California and especially in the town that I live in, there's, it has, it has gotten crazy. And a bunch of people that I grew up with here can't afford to live in their hometown anymore. The only way you can do that is if you were lucky, like I was and had a grandfather that had acquired some property and then it was kind of handed down. And that's the situation that I'm in. And I see these people that can, you know, when I, when we lived here, my dad was a handyman. And he supported a family of four and we could make that happen. Now that's really, really hard to be a tradesman and live in this because it's so expensive. And I do think that I like the idea of tiny houses helping, you know, we talk about that stepping stone or the rung in the ladder, but the affordable housing crisis is a big deal. And I think that they can play a big part there because like you said, when your life serves the house, I don't know how fulfilling is that? How rewarding is that? As opposed to your house helping fulfill your life so you can go do the things you want to do. And I just think that was a big theme in Tiny House, <clears throat> in Tiny House Nation for sure. Yeah. And again, I feel like in a lot of ways we were lucky and also really blessed with, you know, family and, and, and situation and stuff like this. But Lindsay and I talked about that a lot, you know, when we were dating and then we got married, you know, like, what do we want to, where do we want to live? Do we want in the city and the country, you know, and both of us felt um, like we wanted like a piece of property. Like we wanted, like I grew up, I grew up on, you know, like a, a fairly good size, you know, 20 acre kind of, you know, in semi-rural outs, you know, in southeastern Michigan. And that's kind of what I wanted. Like I remembered running and playing in the creek and in the woods and, you know, like climbing trees and like doing that stuff. And that's what I wanted for my kids. And Lindsay also wanted that. And so we were, I mean, I, we, I was starting one river up, like we had zero money, you know, but knew that like, okay, so we basically were like, Hey, let's find the piece of property. Like let's find the piece of property that we could see ourselves being on long-term and whatever we have to do housing wise to be on that piece of property, we'll do that. And I, that was, you know, really into tiny houses. So it just kind of worked out that the tiny house was the vehicle for that dream. And so that's kind of the thought process we were in was like, okay, we're going to live in this tiny house as long as it takes to be able to, you know, build something that's not, crazy huge but bigger so that we can you know kind of have a young family in it and then i mean our our current plan is to eventually build something again it's going to be still 
smaller than what most people will consider sort of their dream home. But we're, we're going, we have sort of a spot up on a hill saved that that eventually we're going to build, you know, something in the say 2000 ish square foot, you know, maybe about twice what we have now. The thing is like, there's lots of different ways you can do that same idea. Meaning like you could buy a house that's a fixer upper and flip it and then, you know, work your way to something else and flip it, whatever. But the tiny house, we just saw that as, as a non-traditional vehicle of kind of doing the same thing because we built our tiny house for, you know, we were able to get into it for, a, you know, because of the show partially, but also, you know, we were just did a lot of the work ourselves and stuff. And, and, um, so we built it for a very affordable amount of money, lived in it for four years and we've been renting it since then on the same piece of, pro- like I, I can look out that window right there and look down at our tiny house and we've been renting it essentially to the same couple that went to the you know, the college that's near here. And then they've, they've sort of been, you know, getting their professional lives established and stuff and living in that tiny house for actually longer than us, I think close to five years now. But by this point, I did the I did the calculations and it's paid for itself like two or three times over in terms of like, especially if you calculate calculate in how much money we saved in rent by living in a tiny house versus renting an apartment or something like that. So it's essentially facilitated us to have this great piece of property we live on and um, this, you know, this house that we built. And then eventually when we move into this other house that we're going to build up on the hill, we'll be renting the house we're currently living in out as well, you know, to a couple. So, so for us, it's just like, we've been able to do so many things on a budget that some people would look at as like, oh, that's like, you can't, you know, you can't really live very well on that amount of money, but you can, if you sort of are willing to arbitrage your situation a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Like you said, I think tiny houses are a vehicle to doing that. They're not the only solution. They're one tool to be able to do things like that. It's a stepping stone. You prioritized your plan. You prioritized your plan and how you wanted to live and where you wanted to live and not the house that you wanted to live in, right? That's the thing. I don't think it's like you sacrificed. It seems like, you know, you, you, as you just explained, you set it up where you could actually do exactly what you want to do and have the experience you want to do. And that's right. What we talk about all the time, experience, right, Zach? Well, yeah. And I think that the big difference between what I hear about your story and what I think is the kind of popular idea out there is they look, a lot of people look at the square footage of a home and they think, okay, that's like the difference. And they don't think about how, okay, if you take that home and you're, you're sequestered into a really tight urban area and you don't have any place outside for your kids to play, like that makes a big difference in terms of the livability of that space. Right. Whereas like, the difference between a 300 square foot apartment and a 300 square foot tiny home is the property, right? You know, it's, it's all of that outside space that you get to enjoy and get to be part of what helps you, you know, get through the day. And for a lot of people that they don't really kind of live their life outdoors very much, they don't really necessarily value the, the exterior square footage, but it sounds like for you, that was kind of the priority, right? It was like, I want to have that property. I want to be able to be on a piece of land. And that's like first and foremost. And so the square footage of the home was really just kind of what you needed, the bare bones function of your life. And it sounds like, you know, especially in the beginning, a tiny home was kind of a perfect way for you to kind of access that, that first priority. That's exactly it. It was, and again, I don't want to beat people up who are like, I want a big home, you know, especially if you can afford it. Like there's some people that like, it's their dream to have a 3,500 or 4,000 square foot house. That's what they want. That's what their dream is. Like to me, that 
that's not my dream. That's not Lindsay's dream, but we don't, it's not like, I think it's, you're a terrible person. If that is your dream, you know what I'm saying? But like for us, it was like, uh, okay, what things do we value? What's our priorities? Uh, we like the, we like being outside. We love the idea of having land and we, we like to travel. And I like to have a little margin in my life. Like, I don't like to feel like I'm on this treadmill, you know, constantly, you know, to be able to afford the things that I'm, having to be away from all the time to afford them. You know, it's like, I, I just like to have a little bit of breathing room. I like to wake up and make my kids breakfast. And we backed into like, okay, what choices do we need to make housing wise to be able to have that lifestyle? I love that. And I love that that has continued to not be just one thing. You know, it's not just one type of housing. As you say, as you grow, the house can grow as well as the family grows as the income grows, but you can continue to live how you want to live. And I love that. And I think that was the, the central theme to Tiny House Nation, it really was. It was about like, how do you use this housing solution as a tool to better your life? And that's kind of, those are the stories that we want to talk about on this on this you know podcast as well. But I do want to talk a little bit about the legality of it. And Jeremy, what you and Zach were able to be a part of in terms of getting Tiny House specs, if you will, written into the International Building Code back in, what, 2018? Is that when you guys did that? No, 2016. 16. I knew it was an even number. 16. That's maybe what I was thinking, because I it's read in the, the code a lot. Code, it's interesting. Maybe that's what you're thinking. <laughs> Appendix Q, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you know, back then, you know, it was one of those, I'm going to say that what we did with Appendix Q was an amazing first step. Right. And obviously it didn't do anything for Jeremy's home because Jeremy's home was on wheels and Appendix Q wasn't really addressing that. But it is the type of thing where in order to enact change, you got to start somewhere. And I don't think that Jeremy or myself really feel like we had a whole lot to do with it. But I think that we are very both probably very proud and satisfied that we showed up when we did to be there. And uh, Jeremy's a, a builder, so he can speak the language which is really important when you're talking about codes. So you testified, right, Jeremy? Yeah, I did. I think I think most of us there were I don't remember how many of us got up there, but we had it all like synced out, you know, where each of us was going to give like a little, you know, 2 minute spiel as far as, you know, going over the different parts of the code. I think mine was the egress, mm-hmm. if I remember right. I talked about the egress through the yeah, uh mine was that's from sexy, the loft at least. area, <laughs> you know. I believe. There there's your drama. How do you get out of the things on fire? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I remember I said, I said it in a way that didn't, that didn't sound snarky, but I think I, I essentially said like, you're in a tiny house. Like you're at any, at any point in the tiny house, you're not more than two steps from a yeah. door. There are <laughs> you know? some things that like, I just shake my head at. Like when people talk about seismic, like, okay, can it handle like seismic activity? You're like, well, number one, it's one story. Number two, it's like a small box that's as structurally sound as possible. And number three, it's on wheels. It's got shock absorbers. Exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, before we let you go, I kind of wanted to just kind of talk to you or ask you because you had talked about margin, you know, like you want to live with margin. And one of the things that kind of really was always profound to me about you is that, you know, you and Lindsay had both lived in Africa. And had this whole other aspect of your life where you had been on these service projects in Africa. And is that part of the margin that you're talking about? Is is making sure that you have time in your life that you can use to give back to other people? For sure. That was always part of the the dream. 
unfortunately, the last, I would say, five-ish years, it's like we've had all these good intentions of of getting back and, and doing things specifically in Africa. And it's it's still very much in the forefront of our plans. And I'm kind of like, I feel like we're right at the cusp of being able to do that. But unfortunately, we've done less travel and less uh, less volunteer work than, than, than we had planned yeah, on doing. It's called being a parent in a worldwide pandemic. Cut yourself some slack. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we have a six-year-old and a, and a three-year-old and we feel like they're just getting to an age where you know we feel comfortable taking them on sort of extended international trips. And I'm just getting to a place in my you know, my solo business, uh, contracting business where I'm, I'm starting to get, you know, systems in place, processes in place, you know, good, good, reliable subcontractors. So the goal sort of in the next year to two years is to, and it's going to start this year, maybe not this long, but is to have sort of a 10, 10 month building season, you know, ish, or at least essentially build a house or build a couple houses, depending on the size of the project in a window and then take two to three months off and then start your next project. So kind of like periods of time where you're like kind of focusing more intensely on the building projects and then periods of time where, you know, you're taking two to three month windows off and, and are able to, you know, for us, it would, there's two or three places in Africa that we'd like to get back to and, and start getting into, you know, international volunteer projects. Um, so yes, to answer your question, hundred percent, that was, that's kind of always been the plan and I'm not going to make excuses but it is still very much in the very front of our focus. I'm not asking you to make excuses, but I am saying that I think leaning into a young family and making sure like that is also a, a form of, of giving back. I think is is like concentrating on raising good humans, especially in those early years. And it does take a lot of effort. Sure. We were talking about it before you came on, just what it's yeah. like to be the parent of a 10 year old, even that's what my situation is. And it's just like, it does take a lot of effort. And so I would just say like, I think that's great. You and Lindsay, I always yeah. liked you guys from the get go. Nude be great parents have gotten to meet Shep. Didn't I haven't met both of your kids, but say the name Lachlan. Lachlan. Oh, Lachlan. What's funny is we actually full circled back right at the end of our last season of Tiny House Nation. We did another Chattanooga build, and I've been to the house you're in right now. Can't remember it was fully finished yet. Yep. I remember yeah. that. She wasn't around then, though. She That was that was, that was was like maybe right after. Yeah. We, I mean, I feel like that was weeks after this we had moved interesting. in. We can, I can't wait to get into more of this. So wait, tell me the timeline <laughs> about the... I'm just kidding. One of the things that frustrates me a lot... <laughs> is that I see these news articles about tiny homes and it's like, it always seems that one person buys a tiny home and then they have trouble with like the land that they thought that they were going to put it on and it turns into this big fiasco and somehow it makes it into the news. And it would just be so satisfying for me if at one point, you know, somebody from the media would come and do a story about someone like Jeremy and Lindsay who move into a tiny home and make all the right choices financially and use it as a stepping stone to to get into it. We have not made all the right okay, choices. Well, yeah, within reason, you. you know, you're raising kids, <laughs> you know, you haven't gone bankrupt. That's what the tiny home movement needs at this point is, is more examples of people that are coming to it with a lot of like reality in their perspective and not trying to treat it as it's like, okay, it's, sure. you know, this way or the highway not trying to like over glamorize it, but just kind of looking at it in the, in the, the good and the bad and deciding whether or not it's something that's going to work for their life and then going through with it and having it turn into a vehicle 
for them to make the next step or to solve a stress in their life. And I think that you guys have a really great story that kind of exemplifies that. And so it would be really nice if, if more and more people could kind of look at that type of example. You mean like a podcast, Zach, that could maybe like bring that message to the world yeah. if we could just come up with yeah. that idea? I feel like you guys need to do a collab with like bigger pockets or like more of a mainstream uh, real estate type podcast. Yeah, let's because book it. it's happening. Like it's happening, but again, every, everything in uh, everything in, in I feel like in construction or real estate is just it's like slow moving. It's like these industries, legacy industries that are for lots of reasons, but we don't, that we don't need to get into. But it's happening. The desensationalization of tiny houses that's the word is happening you know like there's and that's why wind river has continued to be successful is because there's investors like i think a lot of their clients they you know, people buying five tiny homes or 10 tiny homes to to do as vacation rentals or to make a little community and rent them out long term or like things like like people institutional investors you know real estate investors are starting to see the utility of tiny homes for and that's has good and bad aspects to it but like you said, like to just realize that like, it's not this cute thing or like, Oh, look at you living in your tiny house. Like it's a tool. Like it's a, it's, if it, it's a tool that potentially can set you up for a, a life with much more margin. You know, I'll, I'll use that word again. And you're our poster child for that because I really do love the part that you said. The one thing that I would always hear is like, well, the tiny house loses value and like, what the heck? Sure it does. But you, if you rent it out for five years, you made some money in that time. That's my point. That was so great. And like, I always talked about it in terms of like, yeah, but what are you gaining while you're there? As you said, the rent you're saving, the ability to do this. But now as you, you know, as you also said, you've rented it out. You kept it. It is two, three times over. It's paid for itself. And I love that message. I'll put this out there too. Like we're actually talking with somebody that's potentially interested in buying the ti- our tiny house once the current renters that are in it are moving out. And I'm not going to lose money on it. We'll put it that way. See, there it is. It's not going to appreciate, but it's not depreciating. Plus, you've been able to kind of pad out your life and add to your margin by renting it out. And let's not forget that you've also provided a rental option <laughs> in a place like Chattanooga, where it's, I'm sure it's very yeah. tight. And I'm going to just guess, I don't know, but I bet you're not charging top dollar rent. Yeah, no, we're not. That's See, that's the cool thing. It's been a huge, I don't want to, you know, again, get into a whole other thing, but it's been a huge blessing in so many ways because like the renters we have, I mean, they're like our, we consider them our like neighbors. We live out in this rural setting where it's like our closest neighbors are a ways away. So it's given us a little more of a community feel on our own property in a situation where it's like when they go out of town, we'll watch their dog or they'll watch our dog when we're out of town. And like, they play with our kids all the time. And you know, it's like some people have this, like, I want my property and no one else on it and da da da, you know, but like, it's just having that tiny house has allowed us to rent it out to somebody. And you know, we, we could be charging a little more, but we're, we're renting it to them for a price that makes sense for us and makes sense for them. And they're excellent renters. Like they're like no hassle. And if anything, they're an addition to our, our life. And again, we wouldn't have any of that stuff had we not, you know, chosen the tiny house route. If it wasn't for John and Zach, if it wasn't for you guys. Nah, we can't take credit for that. But Jeremy, (laughs) we do take credit for finishing your house with you uh, 16 days from email to the end of the show. And by we, I mean, Zach, I didn't build anything. Actually, I think I painted like a, uh, of like a flower box or something on that episode. Yep. No, you did. Yeah, but no nails in it. No nails in it. It was just, they're like, "Uh, let's not put that into the compressor. John will hurt somebody, probably himself. 
yeah, we, we worked with a lot of different people and had a lot of different kind of people try to try to help out and like do work on their own tiny home. And, you know, Jeremy, you just were like, so obviously such an impressive person on that level and you were just going to give it all. So I was completely impressed. And that was before I even got to know you a little bit. So now that I know you, I'm even more impressed and just want to wish you all the best luck in your next stage of the journey. And thanks so much for joining us. Jeremy, so much fun to see you again, buddy. Thanks, you guys. Well, that was fun. Always good to see Jeremy. Always good to see someone that we worked with and just like, yeah, have continued to stay in touch with and have a good relationship with. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I love it. Like when you get around somebody that's taller than you, how like you always, it's like this competitive side of John Weisbarth just like shows up and you can't stop talking about it. I mean, yeah, the guy's tall. Just, just let it be, you know, it doesn't have to be a competition. It's all I've got. Do I have good hair? No. Good looks? No. Do I have height? Yes. That's like all, that's the only thing I can hang my hat on. And so when someone's taller, I'm like, gosh, darn it. I don't buy that for one second, John. You got all sorts of uh, beautiful aspects about yourself just because they don't come out right away. And it takes a little while for somebody to be able to appreciate them. I thought you were going to say something nice. Oh, Oh, you're a monster. Well, buddy, that was a good time. I actually really liked, I really liked the story of sort of the stepping stone too. I just like that because I think you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes- you can be shamed by some aspects of the of the tiny house movement yep. by not doing that forever. And I just think that Jeremy, I just really like the way that they have done it just to show like, hey, this is a really viable option and an option that's worked out really well for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that uh, isn't necessarily been like what has been kind of like the flashy side of the tiny home movement. But I think it's something that really needs to get talked about a lot more. It's just that it's not just a, a group of people trying to be completely extreme. A lot of the tiny home movement is just about people kind of looking at their options and saying, hey, I'd prefer this. I'd prefer to sacrifice a little bit on the square footage of my home so that I can achieve all of these other things. And it doesn't have to be for forever, but it works for me right now. And does that make us heroes for getting that word out? Yeah. It absolutely does. <laughs> so way to go, Zach. You're a hero, buddy. All right. Well, I'm, uh, I, I don't wear a cape, but if you ever get me one, I'll But you do wear sport. suspenders. Yes. Totally so same thing. It's cool. All right, John. All right, buddy. Good to see you. Talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.